Well, I uh, realize I went a little past your normal time today. Well, it doesn't really affect me very much because it's not my normal time. So <laughs> I'm trying to be humble about it, but uh, I'll, I'll make you a deal. Next Sunday morning, I'll quit early. <laughs> I won't be here. <laughs> well, thank you very much uh, for the invitation and the hospitality. Uh, I've thoroughly enjoyed myself. Church, uh, God's work in here, just stay real small. Uh, it's real easy to get in the way of God. And, you know, I, I appreciate and there's coming a day when God will appropriately acknowledge in a way that brings him glory the work that each of you do. So don't seek now what you really want later. Just stay small. Stay close to God. Let him continue to do what he's doing. Um, I, I appreciate it very much. Thank you just for everything. Had a wonderful lunch today. I did get a bad song stuck in my head. I won't tell you who gave it to me, but he might have been a pastor in his uh, former days. May have run your printing ministry at one point in time. I don't know or... Uh, but in any case, I'm going to try to get it out of my head before I go home. So, <laughs> Yeah, see, it wasn't intended to really be subtle, but yeah. <laughs> well, I want you to take your Bibles open to 1 Kings chapter 13. I'm going to skip over one of the stories that kind of run in succession tonight. Maybe give you just a quick glimpse of it so that uh, we can understand it. And jump in on this one. So when you find your place, if you would stand with me uh, this evening and honor the Word of God. First Kings uh, chapter number 13. The Bible says this. Uh, and behold, there came a man of God out of Judah by the word of the Lord out of Bethel, unto Bethel. And Jeroboam stood by the altar to burn incense. And he cried against the altar in the word of the Lord, and said, O altar, altar, thus saith the Lord, Behold, a child shall be born unto the house of David, Josiah by name, and upon thee shall he offer the priests of the high places that burn incense upon thee, and men's bones shall be burnt upon thee. And he gave a sign the same day, saying, This is the sign which the Lord hath spoken. Behold, the altar shall be rent, and the ashes that are upon it shall be poured out. And it came to pass when King Jeroboam heard the saying of the man of God, which had cried against the altar in Bethel, that he put forth his hand from the altar, saying, Lay hold on him. And his hand which he put forth against him dried up, so that he could not pull it in again to him. The altar also was rent, and the ashes poured out from the altar according to the sign which the man of God had given by the word of the Lord. And the king answered and said unto the man of God, Entreat now the face of the Lord thy God and pray for me, that my hand may be restored me again. And the man of God besought the Lord, and the king's hand was restored him again and became as it was before. And the king said unto the man of God, Come home with me. And refresh thyself, and I will give thee a reward. And the man of God said unto the king, If thou wilt give me half thine house, I will not go in with thee, neither will I eat bread nor drink water in this place. For so was it charged me by the word of the Lord, saying, Eat no bread nor drink water, nor turn again by the same way that thou camest. So he went another way and returned not by the same way that he came to Bethel. Now there dwelt an old prophet in Bethel, and his sons came and told him all the works that the man of God had done that day in Bethel, the words which he had spoken unto the king, then they told them they told also to their father. And their father said unto them, uh, What way went he? For his sons had seen what way the man of God went, which came from Judah. And he said unto his sons, Saddle me the ass. So they saddled him the ass, and he rode thereon, and went after the man of God, and found him setting under an oak, and said unto him, Art thou the man of God that camest from Judah? And he said, I am. Then he said unto him, Come home with me, and eat bread. 
And he said, I may not return with thee, nor go in with thee, neither will I eat bread nor drink water with thee in this place. For it was said to me by the word of the Lord, Thou shalt eat no bread, nor drink water there, nor turn again to go by the way that thou camest. He said unto him, the old man, unto the man of God, I am a prophet also as thou art. And an angel spake unto me by the word of the Lord, saying, Bring him back with thee into thine house, that he may eat bread and drink water. But he lied unto him. So he went back with him, and did eat bread in his house, and drank water. And it came to pass, as they sat at the table, that the word of the Lord came unto the prophet that brought him back. And he cried unto the man of God that came from Judah, saying, Thus saith the Lord, For as much as thou hast disobeyed the mouth of the Lord, and hast not kept the commandment which the Lord thy God commanded thee, but camest back, and hast eaten bread, and drunk water in the place of which the Lord did say to thee, Eat no bread, and drink no water. Thy carcass shall not come unto the sepulcher of thy fathers. Is anybody mad right now? I'm kind of mad right now. All right. And it came to pass, after he had eaten bread, and after he had drunk, that he saddled for him the ass, to wit, for the prophet whom he had brought back. And when he was gone, a lion met him by the way, and slew him, and his carcass was cast in the way. And the ass stood by it, the lion also stood by the carcass. And behold, men passed by and saw the carcass cast in the way, and the lion standing by the carcass, and they came and told it in the city where the old prophet dwelt. And when the prophet that brought him back from the way heard thereof, he said, It is the man of God who was disobedient unto the word of the Lord. Therefore the Lord hath delivered him unto the lion, which hath torn him and slain him according to the word of the Lord, which he spake unto him. And he spake to his sons, saying, Saddle me the ass. And they saddled him. And he went and found his carcass cast in the way, and the ass and the lion standing by the carcass. The lion had not eaten the carcass, nor torn the ass. And the prophet took up the carcass of the man of God and laid it upon the ass and brought it back. And the old prophet came to the city to mourn and to bury him. And he laid his carcass in his own grave. And they mourned over him, saying, Alas, my brother. And it came to pass after he had buried him that he spake to his son, saying, When I am dead, then bury me in the sepulcher wherein the man of God is buried. Lay my bones beside his bones. For the saying which he cried by the word of the Lord against the altar in Bethel and against all the houses of the high places which are in the city of Samaria shall surely come to pass. After this thing, pay close attention, after this thing, Jeroboam returned not from his evil way, but made again of the lowest of the people priests of the high places. Whosoever would, he consecrated him, and he became uh, and he became one of the priests of the high places. And this thing became sin unto the house of Jeroboam, even to cut it off and to destroy it from off the face of the earth. Father, I thank you for our time tonight. I pray that you'd bless your word, Lord, and uh, you'd be honored by it. But Lord, we would be, we would be helped by it. Uh, we come tonight desiring to hear from you. And Lord, even if you have hard things for us tonight, uh, please deliver them uh, and accompany them with your grace and mercy that we might be transformed into the image of your dear son. Help us, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for standing tonight and please be seated. Did you notice that everybody was trying to get this guy to come to their house and eat? The king said, come to my house and refresh thyself. And the man of God that came from Judah knew exactly what that meant. That didn't mean, hey, I've got a shower you can kind of cleanse off. It meant come and drink water and eat bread and get a reward. And then he went a little further. He was obeying God and he went back and an old prophet came to him. A man who I believe mostly claimed that title for himself because he was not a man of God by any means that we can see. But that man came to him and said, hey, come home with me and eat bread and drink water. And it just seems kind of weird to me that everybody in this sort of strange place, this man was from Judah and a different nation. This is now during the time of the divided kingdom. Really, it's early in the days of the divided kingdom. And this man uh, had come up here and he'd said something that was very hard against them, really against the altar. 
and he had pronounced judgment on the altar. In fact, these very things would be accomplished in the days of King Josiah. Uh, they would come to pass. And so uh, it seems odd then that everyone would say, hey, come to my house and let's have water and bread. So why did they do that? It probably doesn't mean very much to you and I at first glance. But I want to I show you something in Scripture. I trust you'll bear with me. There's something in the ancient Near East culture. The Old Testament is written, and, some, and probably the Gospels to a great extent, not as much. But it's written uh, culturally in the time of the ancient Near East. Now, don't, don't get wrapped around that. It is important. Just know this, that they're not exactly like we are. And that there were some different customs. Some of them still exist to the day, today in the modern Near East. And one of those things is something that we find in Scripture called a salt covenant or a covenant of salt. And a salt covenant is something that still goes on today. In fact, if some of you men uh, that were in the military were uh, in uh, the Middle East during the, I guess, past now, it's hard to believe, wars, uh, you may have encountered some of this. Many of our negotiators, when they would go out and sit down with the Arabs, would, not, would be very careful not to drink water at their place or to partake of bread because of this thing. See, the salt covenant is a covenant that is a covenant of permanence. Let me read a quote to you from a man who wrote much about it. It says this, Where enmity subsists, or where two uh, Arabs are at, uh, at odds, the fiercer Arabs, Arabs will not sit down at the same table with their adversary, sitting down together betokens reconciliation. And here's why. They would sit down at a table, and uh, whoever was the host would offer bread. And that bread would have salt in it. And when they would eat of that bread, sometimes they would even have a plate of salt and they would take the bread and they would rub the bread into the plate of salt and then eat it. And in doing that, they were binding themselves into a covenant of allegiance one to another. And this is what that covenant said. Even though they were at odds, because they had eaten the other man's salt or shared that salt together, they were now bound to seek the other's good. So if they had come to do harm, they couldn't do that. And if they saw harm coming towards one, uh, they would have to intercede because that covenant of salt was between them. And it said this, I am now uh, bound by covenant. Covenants are very important things. And I'm now bound by covenant uh, to seek your best, to protect your, uh, your, uh, your assets, to protect your interests in all things, the covenant of salt. And it's a, it's a permanent covenant. It's a covenant that implies in Scripture a permanency and that was, uh, that was carried out that way. And so when they would partake of salt, uh, of course, now, even though they might still be enemies, they would be allies to one another. And they would be now required to be uh, faithful to that covenant or have allegiance to their own enemy. Now, that all sounds good. What's that have to do with Scripture? Well, take your Bible. We're going to do a little bit of work before we preach, Okay. And go to the book of Leviticus chapter number two. Leviticus chapter number two. I would tell you that we'll be out of here early tonight, but I promised you already that'd be next week. So Leviticus chapter number two and verse 13. We'll go through this very quickly. I want you to see what I'm talking about the best that I can. Here God is describing the uh, sacrifices that are being given, the first six or seven chapters of the book of Leviticus. And it says in verse uh, 13, uh, Leviticus 2, 13, And every oblation of thy meat offering shalt thou season with salt. Neither shalt thou suffer, listen to this phrase, the salt of the covenant of thy God to be lacking from thy meat offering. With all thine offerings thou shalt alter salt, offer salt. And so here God references the idea of a covenant of salt. And it is a covenant that, again, binds the two parties that partake of one another's or one of another's salt into a permanent uh, covenant to seek the other's interest. God says when you bring a, an offering, a burnt offering or a meat offering, pardon me, uh, to my uh, altar, you will always make sure that it has the salt of my covenant. I have made a covenant. This permanent covenant would really refer uh, to the Abrahamic covenant, not so much to the Mosaic covenant. But I have made a covenant with you about this 
this land and about how to deal with you, and always the salt of the covenant will be in my offerings. If you offered the meat offering without salt, it was not accepted by God, because he said this, be sure, make sure, thou shalt, uh, thou, neither shalt thou suffer the salt of thy covenant to be lacking from thy meat offering. No salt, no acceptable offering to God because of the covenant of salt. Now let's go a little further. Uh, go uh, with me, if you would, to the book of Numbers and chapter number 18. Numbers chapter number 18. In Numbers chapter number 18, in verse, uh, verse number 19, uh, we read this. All the heave offerings of the holy things which the children of Israel offer unto the Lord have I given thee and thy sons and thy daughters with thee by a statute forever. I'll stop reading there. God is now making provision for the priests uh, and, their, and their food. Uh, and he says, look, when they uh, bring these offerings, all of the heave offerings of the holy things uh, which are offered, I'm going to give them to you. I'm going to make sure that you and your family have got uh, food in your house, and here's how I do it. I'm going to give it to thee and thy sons and thy daughters. How? By a statute forever. Okay? Now the rest. It is a covenant of salt forever before the Lord unto thee and to thy seed with thee. And so God says, listen, I want you to serve in my courts. I want you to do a, a holy service, and I'm going to provide for your care. And one of the ways that I'm going to do that is by giving you of the holy offerings that are brought to me a part of the heave offering that'll be for you and for your family, your sons and your daughters. And here's how you know it's always gonna be there. It's there by statute, but it is a covenant of salt between me and you. I guarantee you as God, and the medium of this covenant is the medium of salt that I will always provide for you as long as there are heave offerings that will be given to you. It is a covenant of salt between me and you, God says. So God himself enters in to a covenant of salt with his people. Go forward again with me to the book of Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles in chapter number 13. And we'll uh, look together at verse number five. Second Chronicles chapter number five. And it says this. Ought ye not to know that the Lord God of Israel gave the kingdom over Israel to David forever, even to him and to his sons, by a covenant of salt. So God made a covenant with David. We call it the Davidic covenant, don't we? And he said this, listen, uh, if I can paraphrase it briefly, as long as there is a legitimate king on the throne of the nation of Israel, he will be of the house of David. And he, and he sealed that covenant as a covenant of salt, a salt where he was uh, obligated to seek David's uh, good, to carry out that covenant and to be faithful to it. And he says, like all covenants of salt, that it is a covenant of salt forever that it never will break. How many of you are glad that, a, that the seed of David were, will always be sitting on the throne when there is a legitimate king over Israel? Because there is one more king coming, and his name is Jesus. Amen? No, no, no. He's come already as a lamb, but he's coming back to rule and reign. And he's coming to set in the seat of David because he is of the offspring and lineage of David. And he is the fulfillment of the permanent covenant of God to David, a covenant of salt. Is everybody with me here? This covenant of salt is an issue of allegiance, isn't it? God's not going to turn his back. In fact... In the in the what precedes or what uh, is between where we were this morning with Solomon and where we are here in chapter thirteen are the events around Jeroboam, and Jeroboam is chosen to take uh, the ten nations of the divided kingdom and to lead them. But God said when he judged Solomon and divided the nation that he would leave two tribes there in Judah because of his covenant with David. When God could have said, that's it, I'm done with the house of David, he was loyal to this covenant. It is a permanent covenant that he would seek the good. And so they went on that way for some time. Jeroboam, who immediately went into uh, idolatry, uh, I think maybe even worse than Solomon's, I don't know, uh, but uh, he did that. But, uh, but God uh, fulfilled this covenant of salt. So we have in Scripture this salt covenant. Now, you might say, preacher, this is all just Old Testament stuff and it doesn't mean much to me. Well, I hope you've already seen 
that it means a lot to you. You see, people can play around with truth all they want to. Let me give you something that's unalterable. God, by a covenant of salt, promised that the king that would sit on the throne would be of the house of David. And there's only one. In fact, the genealogical records in Israel were greatly destroyed at the destruction of the second temple. Why? So that there could never be anyone who would try to take the place. Amen. There's only one, and his name is Jesus. Oh, and I don't know if I told you yet, but he's my savior. And he's coming back for me. I hope you get to go too, but I know I'm going. Because there's a covenant of salt. It's unalterable. It's unchangeable. He will always seek uh, to fulfill that. And he'll always be bound, if you will, by covenant to seek my highest good. That's what love does. We see other examples of a covenant that aren't called out quite so clearly, but you can see it in play. I, I don't want to take the time to go to it tonight, but I would challenge you to look at some point in to the book of Genesis, chapter 31, where uh, Jacob uh, leaves and Laban pursues him, and they, they have the deal that goes on there. And when they get ready to leave, they enter into a covenant there. And when they enter into that covenant, uh, they pile up uh, uh, two heaps of stones and two pillars of stones. And then Jacob and Laban crawl up on top of one of them and share a meal together. And when they share that meal together, it is the sealing of that covenant. And it is a covenant of salt. The salt being a particular uh, ingredient in the bread that was absolutely understood. In fact, if you were sharing bread with someone in the ancient Near East and weren't entering into a covenant, you would say this to them, my salt has no bread or my bread has no salt in it. So that they would understand that there was no salt in your bread. Because otherwise when they ate your bread they would assume that there was salt in it as a normal ingredient. And that you were bound together in this seeking of the other's interests uh, permanently by a covenant of salt. Jacob and Laban climb up on there and they eat bread and drink water together. And what they do is they seal that covenant as a covenant of salt together. And the covenant is, I won't come past these heaps uh, to hurt you, and you don't come past in my direction to hurt me. So the heaps are a sign or a reminder, right? That's what circumcision was. It was a sign. That's what the Sabbath is. It's a sign of the covenant. But uh, the salt was the substance in which it was sealed. It was a permanent covenant of salt before God forever in Genesis 31. And you can see them in Scripture in other places as you look. But now let me say this to you. It didn't end in the Old Testament. In fact, turn with me to the book of Matthew, chapter 5. Uh, you say, preacher, I thought we were going to be in uh, 1 Kings. Oh, we will, trust me. We will, I promise. But Matthew, chapter 5, right now. You're familiar with this. It's the Beatitudes or the Sermon on the Mount. And, uh, and, and at the end of the Beatitudes is really where we're at in Matthew, chapter 5. And if you just uh, look very uh, quickly in verse number 13, it says this, Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden underfoot of men. You find something very similar in Luke chapter 14. In fact, you might, if you'd like to, turn up there. If not, I'll just read it to you. That's fine. You can, you know, uh, sit back and relax tonight. But um, uh, Luke chapter 14 and verse uh, number uh, 34, it says this, Salt is good, but if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land nor yet for the dunghill, but men cast it out. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. And so there, in those two passages in the New Testament, disciples of Jesus Christ are called the salt of the earth. Now, here's how you probably would most often read about this, or maybe hear it preached, that the salt of the earth means this, that, that as disciples, we're adding savor to the earth. That's what salt does, you know. If you have a somewhat bland piece of broccoli, if, I mean, when... <laughs> When you have a somewhat bland piece of broccoli, if you want it to taste a little bit better, put salt on it, okay? If you don't want to taste it at all, plug your nose like this, and no, that's not right, that's wrong. Because what salt does, it does preserve, I understand that, but salt is a flavor enhancer, okay? It draws it out. If you want spicy food, put a little bit of cayenne pepper and then put salt on it. It will like take the cayenne pepper and put it on a little bit of steroids. No, not big steroids, uh, but little steroids, and you'll get better spice out of that. Why? Because that's what salt does. It uh, absolutely does enhance food. And so you've probably heard this preached before, that as we, or, or you've read it, that as 
we live here as disciples, what we're doing is we're making the world better. We're making it a little more spicy and, uh, and uh, adding savor to it. Okay, sorry, it just came to me right there. But, <laughs> but here's the problem with that. This world is not my home. And we are not here to make this world better for unbelievers. We are here to be the salt of the covenant of God. You see, God has made a promise in the New Testament. And that promise is this, that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, he made that, he made that promise uh, 2,000 plus years ago now, didn't he? And yet that promise is still binding today. And that, listen, uh, that if you will call in faith upon the Lord Jesus Christ, he will save you. And he has promised that he would do it by an unalterable permanent covenant of salt. But here's what you and I need to know, that we are the salt of the covenant. We are the thing that shows them that God is still keeping his covenant. It is our lives. We are the salt of God's salt covenant with our generation. And it's all about allegiance, isn't it? It's about saying, I'm God's, God is mine, and there'll be no swerving no changing. I will follow him and seek his good. The salt covenant is bound as binding on you and I as it is on God. Amen. And it's about our allegiance and his allegiance to us. Now, can I say this to you tonight? God has always been and always will be perfectly allegiant to you as a believer in Jesus Christ. In fact, the Bible says it, doesn't he? That he hath began, begun a good work in us will finish that work. Why? Because God is absolutely allegiant to his promises to you and I. Go back to the book of 1 Kings. There comes a man of God. The only thing we know him by, except for one exception, is man of God. Now, I want to tell you, we use that title, and, uh, and I'm, I want to be careful with that title. I believe that God, God himself is the one who gives evidence of a man being a man of God. It's not a title that I would claim for myself or expect uh, otherwise that God does that. And this man is a man of God because he was sent by God to do the work of God and he was faithful to that work. And so it says that a man of God came out of Judah. Now Rehoboam, or I'm sorry, Jeroboam is standing on an altar uh, that has been put up in the town of Bethel. In the town of Bethel, Jeroboam's idolatry uh, caused them to build a, an altar similar to the brazen altar, one in Bethel and the other in the city of Dan. And at each of those, they placed a golden calf. And the people would come there and they would offer sacrifices similar or really mimicking what is covered in the book of Leviticus. In fact, they had, uh, they had uh, um, uh, festivals. They had a festival in the eighth month and the 15th day. If you're not familiar with it, in fact, today is the eighth day after the Feast of, um, uh, the Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Tabernacles began last Sunday, runs for seven days. Today is Shemini Atzeret, or the eighth day at the end of it. You can read about it in the book of Leviticus if you'd like to. But he, that starts on the seventh month on the Hebrew calendar and 15th day. When Jeroboam set up his false worship, he had altars similar to those. He had gods. In fact, he called them Elohim, uh, Most High. And, and then he set up uh, uh, festivals that would mimic the festivals that were held according to the truth of the word of God. And he's standing up on one of those altars uh, doing the thing that idolaters do, I suppose, stirring the flames and offering sacrifices. And this man of God is sent by him. And uh, Jeroboam, remember, is the king of the northern kingdom. And so he would expect that someone would address him a little bit like a king. But this man of God uh, comes up on the scene and ignores Jeroboam as if he's not there. And he begins to speak to the altar you got to kind of enjoy that, don't you? Because he doesn't say, stand aside, sir. I need to curse the altar. He says this, oh, altar, oh, altar. And let me tell you what's going to happen to you, altar. That, that there are going to be the bones of men burnt upon you. The priests that burn sacrifices in the high places and the bones of other men will be burnt upon you. Those priests, according to uh, the chapter right before this, were priests that were made by Jeroboam of the lowest of the people. So Jeroboam didn't have Levites. Those stayed where they belonged, or most of them did, not all of them. What Jeroboam did was take people who were mm, not good people, and he made them priests of the high places. 
And he said, you know what? Those priest's bones are going to be burnt on this altar as well as the bones of other men. You say, preacher, that's kind of disgusting. Why would he say that? I'll tell you why. Because he would absolutely defile the altar and prove once and for all that it was not holy and consecrated unto God when he did that. He would set that thing aside and he would absolutely defile it. And he said, let me give you a sign. The, the altar, you're gonna be rent open or torn open and all of your ashes are gonna be poured out on the ground, verse number three. And so here's Jeroboam, just be a king with me for a minute if you would, and you're standing on the altar in your royal priestly apparel, not sure what that looks like exactly, uh, but you're standing up there tending to this altar and here comes this uh, man of God and he stands up, ignores you, points at the altar, maybe he had a big stick. I mean, you gotta think he had a big stick and a booming voice, right? I'm pretty sure he didn't go like, altar, altar. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> no, I'm just saying this, okay? I'm pretty... <laughs> I mean, I don't know why you're laughing. What prophet of God does that? Have you never watched that? Never mind. But, but I'm pretty sure he's like, oh, altar. I mean, at least he like took a deep breath, used his diaphragm, right? And, and, he, and he, I mean, he cried out with authority. Why? Well, because he's a man of God. And a man of God ought to speak with authority. Not with brashness or boldness or pride, just authority, amen? And he says, altar, altar. And he gives this pronouncement that God is gonna defile it. And Jeroboam's sitting there looking at him like, what am I, chopped liver? I mean, so Jeroboam's already mad. And then what, what this man does is literally call God's judgment on Jeroboam's life, life's work. And said, you may think that's something, but it's nothing. So Jeroboam gets mad. And he does what all good kings do when they get mad. He throws a hissy fit. And he says, Arrest that man. And he immediately regrets it because his arm is stuck out here. So he begins to say, uh-oh. He says, uh, Mr. Mr. Prophet man, would you please pray to God for me that my arm would be restored? And the man of God did. And he besought the Lord, that's what it says. He called out to God. And God restored his arm. And the king was like, sweet. Hey, come to my house, refresh yourself, and I'll give you a big reward for what you just did. But listen to this. The man of God was faithful to God. He said, no, I'm sorry, I can't do that. If you gave me half your house, I wouldn't do it. And let me explain to you why. Because I would sit here, this phrase, by the word of the Lord, God said this, amen? I was sent here by the word of the Lord, and by the word of the Lord I was told, eat no bread nor drink water in that place, nor go back the way you came. Why did God say that? Do you think that God was against the man of God being refreshed? Did he want him to be exhausted and famished in the desert heat? Heavens, no. He said that because the moment Jeroboam would sit down at a table and begin to share bread and water, even if it wasn't his heart, it would tell everyone around that Jeroboam, I'm sorry, the man of God was now allegiance or linked in allegiance with Jeroboam because they all would have understood the covenant of salt. And everyone would have said this, this man is, is, uh, serves two masters. And it would, have, it would have tarnished the testimony of God, wouldn't it? And so Jeroboam goes away, or the man of God goes away, pardon me. And he goes and he goes for a while and apparently sets down under an oak tree to take a rest. Now, can I take a time out here? You're probably going to hear some preaching. Maybe you did last week. I don't know, but about how setting under an oak tree is bad. And you should just finish the course. And don't be a lazy sinner. But that's not what this is about. Let me help you with this. You're entitled before God at the appropriate time to even take a vacation. You can be absent from this church. I didn't ask for permission. You should go to church somewhere. Amen. You're people of God, not people of liberty. But you are entitled to rest. In fact, God instituted rest, didn't he? God himself rested. Not because he was tired. He had a different purpose. So the man of God sitting under the oak tree... Well, I mean, I've sat under an oak tree. 
I'm fairly certain I wasn't sinning against God. Okay, let's make it more modern. My wife and I live in a fifth-wheel trailer and travel wherever we're asked to go to preach in churches and try to help churches. And sometimes we have to drive like 2,000 miles. Now, don't tell anybody, but sometimes we actually stop and sleep on the way. (laughs) I'm not trying to be goofy. I just want you to be completely vacated of the idea that somehow the man of God was sinning against God because on the way home, he was sitting in the shade and resting just a bit. Amen? Get that out of your mind because it will distract you from what's going on here. So there were two sons of this old prophet. Now this prophet, I don't know if he took the title to himself. I I don't know. Here's what he's not ever called, the man of God. Okay? Uh, Just because someone's called a prophet or some other religious figure doesn't mean they're the man of God. And this prophet, uh, his sons are there. They saw all of this and they came home and they said, Dad, you'll never believe it. There's a real prophet here, not one like you. (laughs) It's in the originals, trust me. (laughs) Yeah, it's terrible. Focus. And he said... Well, which way did he go? And they had watched where he went. So he said his famous phrase, boys, saddle me the ass. And he got on the donkey and he rode and found the man of God. Now, watch what happens. I know I'm rehearsing it, not reading it. We've read it already. I mean, I can read it if if that's what you need me to do. And I don't want you to think for a moment that I'm taking any liberty with the word of God or or anything like that. But he finds him there and he says to him, hey, listen, I'm I'm a prophet. Just I'm, I'm a man of God like you. And I want you to come home with me. And I want you to eat bread and drink water at my house. And the man of God, again, was faithful to God. Say amen. I mean, he's almost finished with his mission. And he says, listen, I, I mean, no, no offense, right? But I, I, I'm not going to go back with you. I can't go back with you. I can't drink with you. I can't eat with you because I was told by the word of the Lord yeah. Yeah. Amen. to go home and not by the same way and not to drink any water or eat any bread. Why? We know the answer. Because the moment he does, it becomes split allegiances. Whether the man of God's heart is there or not, doesn't really matter. But the testimony now of this man of God would be, he's got two masters. And so the old prophet says, now get this. Well, I too am a prophet. Let me, let me get over there. And um, it was told me um, hang on, skip down one verse, verse 18. I am a prophet as also as thou art, verse 18. Listen to this. And an angel spake unto me by the word of the Lord, saying, bring him back with thee into thine house that he may eat bread and drink water. But he lied to him. So now this old prophet said, self-identified prophet said well I'm a man of God just like you and I understand what you heard from God but an angel told me that God said it was okay that you should come back and drink water and eat bread and he deliberately lied to him and the man of God said Well, okay then, verse 19. So he went back with him and did eat bread in his house and drank water. And you remember what happened. That after he drank and ate, God did actually speak through this old rust bucket and said, because you've disobeyed me, you're going to die. And the the old prophet goes, You're going to get yours. You're going to die because you didn't obey God. That kind of makes me mad. But not just that, the old guy. Listen to me very closely. The man of God from Judah had scripture to demonstrate 
that this was a lie. Now you can read it. You can read it. In fact, let me read a little bit to you. I have it, I have it here on my thing just for the sake of time. But It's from Deuteronomy 13. If there arise among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams and give thee a sign or wonder, and the sign or wonder come to pass wherever he spake unto thee, saying, Let us go after other gods which thou hast not known, and let us serve them. Thou shalt not hearken unto the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God proveth you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice and you shall serve him and cleave unto him and that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has spoken to turn you away from the Lord your God which brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you out of the house of bondage to thrust thee out of the way which the Lord thy God commanded thee to walk in. So shalt thou put the evil away from the midst of thee. Did you catch that? Hey, if a prophet comes and even does a sign, but he tells you to do the opposite of what I've commanded you, that man is a false prophet. And that's precisely what happened here, isn't it? God said, by the word of the Lord, eat no bread or drink no water. And when he came and said, these are the wonderfully famous words of the ecumenicist and of the, uh, of the, um, the ones who mix everything together. He said this, I'm just like you. You and I are the same. Please hear me, church. You're, you are being beguiled by people like this. They're standing up. They're all over the radio and the television, and, and they're all over the place. And they say this, we're just like you. I was in the airport yesterday in Denver, Colorado, and I'm standing in front of this. I don't know why they make restaurants like this. They have no meat in this restaurant, okay? It's all veg to, to it's all food, uh, for food. And... Uh, <laughs> And I'm standing there, and this lady walks up. She's a flight attendant. And, she, and she's looking at the thing, and I'm looking at the thing. And I said to her, didn't this used to be an Einstein's bagel? And she goes, don't get me to lying. So I said, oh, okay. Well, it seems like every time I come through here, it's an Einstein's bagel. And now it's, I don't know, curds and whey or something. I don't know. <laughs> And she goes, oh, you travel a lot? And I said, yeah, a fair amount. And she goes, what do you do? I said, I'm an evangelist. She said, me too. And then we talked for a little while. I think she was a wonderful lady. I'm for her. She can't be, by what she said, a servant of the Most High God. You and I can figure that out if we pay attention to the Word of God, can't we? And so could the man of God. But do you understand if you don't, here's what happens. The very act of allegiance gets severed. And now you begin to show to those around you that instead of having one master, you have two. And all it really takes is that disobedience to the voice of God and obedience to some other voice. And you've got a million voices coming at you in your life. And they're telling you all kinds of things that are right and wrong that the word of God says different than. But would you understand this, that, that, that you and I have been given a very uh, special position in the economy of God. And, and can I just say, we'll move on, but this man of God, I, I, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to be ugly to him, but he knew better. And he made a deliberate choice to just kind of cut the lines. Go the easy way. Not be offensive. I mean, I said no once. So the man of God sent him out of there, or the prophet sent him out of there on his own ass. He got down the road a little ways and a lion met him. The lion killed him. Then something really weird happened. I don't know if you know this, lions are not like us. Um, they don't hang the heads of the humans they kill on their wall. I'm just trying to be clear. They don't hunt for trophies. They hunt for lunch. Okay? If a lion attacks you, don't say, I'll make a good mount because he's still going to eat you. Okay? You're going to die. But this lion killed the man of God and then sat down in the road. 
Now, not only is there a dead man of God still warm, but there's a juicy, greasy, luscious donkey. Which a lion normally would have said like, I think I'm going to eat that too. Or at least kill it and put it in my stash so I can eat it later. But the donkey standing there alive, the man of God is dead but uneaten, and the lion isn't cowering off to hide. He's sitting in the road saying, I did that. That's my work right there. So people walk by it and go, this is weird. I mean, after they go like, yeah, right? It's what I would do. So they go into town and they begin to tell people, you'll never believe it. But there's a dead guy, a living donkey, and a proud lion right down the road. It's the weirdest thing you ever saw. And the word gets back to this old prophet, and he says, it's the man of God who didn't obey God. That's what happens when you don't obey God. Boys, saddle me the ass. And he goes and gets him and buries him and says this to his boys. Hey, listen, when I die, bury me right next to his bones because everything he said is going to come true. Get it? It's okay if you don't. So here's where we are. This is an issue of allegiance to God. And it's an issue of this, that this salt covenant is a covenant that really is a covenant of allegiance, isn't it? Of permanent allegiance to a promise. The man of God went out, and he stood strong once, and he stood strong twice, and the third time he was beguiled. And it perplexes me to some degree that he was, he was, that he was beguiled. Because I would think that this man of God might have known the word of God. But it just seems that this one got right by him. It could just be for another reason. It could be not that he didn't know, but they didn't figure one would hurt. Or that, you know what, he'd been faithful in big things. Now probably this is someone just like him and, and it'd be good to, maybe it's a little bit of outreach, right? Missionary dating going on here, right? You know what that is. But what he really was, was disloyal in the eyes of everyone who could see to the God who sent him. And anyone who saw him there walking into the man of God's house, knowing that they were going to share a meal, that's what you did, knew that he would be binding his allegiance, not only to this God he claimed to represent, but to this prophet that they all knew was a windbag and couldn't be trusted to give you what God said. And so he died. Now I want, I want you to remember Jeroboam. Jeroboam is a man who when this man of God encounters him is flagrantly disobedient to God. He's standing on an altar offering sacrifices to a golden calf. And he's a member of the covenant people of God of the nation of Israel. And the man of God pronounces the judgment on the altar. And Jeroboam responds to it, doesn't he? But Jeroboam's attitude changed when he got stuck like this. And he suddenly began to acknowledge that God was more powerful. Because he said, would you please pray to your God? and ask him to bring my arm back? He didn't say this. Would you go over and pet the calf and see if my arm gets better? I mean, he said, would you please pray to your God? And then the man of God did. And God did what God does. Right? And he healed him. God proved himself to be everything that he claims to be. And Jeroboam was marked by it. Jeroboam is a man who's going away from God. And really, God pronounced judgment on this altar, but not on Jeroboam. Didn't he? You know what that means? That God wanted to use that to get to that man. He wanted to use the message of this man of God to try to change the direction or the path of life that Jeroboam had been choosing. 
God chose Jeroboam to be the king over the northern uh, ten kingdoms. And you know what God said to him? Just what he said to Solomon. If thou walk in my ways and obey me, then there'll not fail a man from you over this uh, kingdom. He had that same, that same relationship with God. And now he's completely walked away from it in unfaithfulness. And God sends a man of God and says, be faithful to me. Give no idea that you're allegiant to anyone else. Show them by your life that I'm God of God and King of kings and that there is none other but me. And he went up there and boy, he started good. But by the time it was over, he compromised the commandment of God. He died in a foreign land. And his testimony was of no value. Everyone now saw him and the old prophet as equals, including the old prophet. Now watch this. Take your Bible. Verse 33. The saddest verse in this story is verse 33. After this thing, Jeroboam returned not from his evil way. But listen but made again of the lowest of the people priests of the high places. Whosoever would, he consecrated him and, became, and he became one of the priests of the high places. And this thing became sin unto the house of Jeroboam, even to cut it off and to destroy it from off the face of the earth. When Jeroboam went and addressed the altar, the king's life was arrested. When his arm froze out there, the king paused and said, there is one God, would you speak to him for me? I don't know that we could find a written record outside of this, but this verse indicates that Jeroboam had begun to make a turn from idolatry back towards God because of the faithful steadfastness of this man of God. Let me tell you why. First of all, the Bible takes time to mention that he did not come back. After this thing, Jeroboam returned not. And the idea really is Jeroboam was on the way to return to God and he stopped in his tracks and went back to what he was doing before the man of God came. And you also get that understanding, I believe, because of the next phrase, which says not only did he not return to God now, but he made again of the lowest of the people priests of the high places. It would seem that somehow in this short period of time that Jeroboam began to say, we don't need you people anymore. But now this man of God was just another believer in Jehovah who wouldn't be faithful to him. And this man of God didn't think his God was enough to stick to. And Jeroboam said, forget about it. And went back after his false gods. You are the salt of the earth. You're the covenant of the salt of God. And I would want you to understand tonight that your allegiance to God with precision and deliverance is what allows the world around you who are confused about God to see that our God is the true God and that he is faithful. He still changes lives. He still redeems the lost. He's still reaching and sending and going. He's absolutely faithful to his promise that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That with the mouth confession is made, with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. Hey, listen, there's a God in heaven, uh, his son Jesus, a God in the flesh, and he still does exactly what he said he'd do. And you know what? He can take a belligerent, stiff-necked, uh, arrogant sinner and turn him in to a faithful, humble servant of the Most High God. But no one knows that. If your life, becomes split between two. If you're faithful to God here and not faithful to God here. Here's what they say of your God and my God. Not much of a God. 
mean, it's one thing if he can't command the multitudes, but those who love him or claim to, they're not faithful to him. What kind of a God is that? And so you know what they do with your life? They take your life in testimony and they cast it out to be trodden under the foot of men. So instead of being the salt of the world now, because of our just seeming struggles to have clear and singular allegiance to our Savior, our lives are just mixed in with the dust of the earth. They look at us and think nothing about us. They don't inquire of who our God is because of our life. You know, the Bible says that we're to live lives that become the gospel of Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean in here only. In fact, you don't live most of your life in here. This is where some of us come for a nice nap. You live your life out there. You live your life in front of neighbors and coworkers, students. And if your life doesn't demonstrate allegiance, I mean consistent allegiance to God, it just becomes fodder for the ground. And it wasn't put out there as ice melt. It was put out there as waste. That which is inconsequential. See, you buy salt, you sweep dirt out the door. And all of a sudden, that salt was no longer distinct, no longer could ever be used as salt. It was just another grain of dirt in the pathway through the village. And I'm concerned that in our generation that we're nothing more than another piece of religious dust on the pathway through our time on earth. The answer is allegiance to Christ. Jesus said, if you're going to be my disciple, you have to hate your father and mother and sisters and brothers and your own life also. And you have to pick up your cross and follow me. And all those things are about affection and allegiance. That he would be your first love and that he would be your chief allegiance. And if not, he says, you cannot be my disciple. And this story is about the allegiance. See, the first love produces the first allegiance. And I'm going to say this to you. What you love first, you also obey first or serve first. Or honor first. And when there is an issue of allegiance in our life with God, what it really is is an issue of love before God. Because if I love him above all things, then I'll be allegiant to him above all things. This man of God started off with a testimony and ended up in a grave that would later be unmarked when Josiah got there. For one reason. Because his allegiance to God was not sufficient to finish the course of his life. We don't know his name. I'm convinced had he finished the course of his life, I could be wrong. But there's just a possibility that he might have been written down in Hebrews chapter 11. As far as we know, his entire story ends when like savorless salt he's cast out and trodden under the feet of man. Your generation, our generation desperately needs us to have such steadfast allegiance to Christ that they no longer see our religion but they see our Savior. Amen. That they recognize his value, his worth, his power, his might, his strength. And we spend an awful lot of time in our generation waffling or halting between two. And it is time tonight that we made a decision of absolute allegiance to our God. 
that we'd have no other affection, no other love that would take away our allegiance to him. That our love for him would be so strong that no matter what offer comes to us, we would filter it through truth and we would operate only by the truth of the word of God so we could demonstrate at every corner, no matter who looks, that we have been faithful, that we have been allegiant, that we have never swerved from the path of following our God. It is time that God's people stop shopping for the benefits and started surrendering to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Tonight, you decide whether you'll finish the course on the path of Christ, or rather, quite frankly, your life, no matter what you've done, won't matter. This man did many things that mattered, but the end of his life, he's known as the unnamed man in an unmarked grave because his allegiance to God was not faithful. I think our God is worthy of far more from our lives. And I think it's high time that we got on our face before God. And we determine in our heart that our allegiance to God would be demonstrable if you watched our life. And I think tonight's the night to begin. Stand with me.